0: Okay, hi everybody. So good to see your faces, whoever's showing me their beautiful face, thank you. Um, Okay, so I wanna start with our regular announcements. Um, This class is sponsored by Schmoozy. So go listen to the audio version. They have a really easy app that is so easy to navigate. Um, so if you want to listen to the audio without video, when you just want to like walk around, do exercise, clean your house, that is a great place to do that. And you can pass it along to anybody who, um, you think might enjoy it. If you miss a class, it's a great resource, as well as YouTube. I also got an anonymous, anonymous, sponsor last week. So thank you for whoever that was. I do have no idea, but it was greatly appreciated. So thank you so much for that. And we will get right to down to business. This week we are doing chapter 12. Now it's very, very exciting because we are finally at the chapter where we're going to understand what. Uh, we're, we're going to start to uncover what it means to be a Benoni and how to be on this path and journey. Cause remember that's our goal. This, this whole Tanya is a path to slowly get closer to being a Benoni. So we're here at chapter 12. We're finally going to understand that a little bit deep, in a deeper way. And for the rest of the Tanya is basically what we're going to be doing. Um, so remember chapters one through eight, we um, got all our vocabulary, our concepts down, which was really great because we were able to understand how our, how our bodies work, how our soul works, how the world works. It was really important inf- information. And then last week we did chapter 10 and 11, which um, we talked about, what is it, Sadik? right? What did we talk about in chapter 10? What is a tzaddik? Two types of tzaddikim, right? We have an incomplete tzaddik and a complete tzaddik. What's the difference between the two? Very subtle difference, but a difference nonetheless. What is the difference? The difference is, is that the incomplete tzaddik, his yetzir hara, his evil inclination still exists. It's just completely dormant and sleeping. It has no power. It has no effect on our behavior or our thoughts or our emotions. We are living a completely godly life but it's still there what is the complete tzaddik what's the one benefit that a complete tzaddik has is that his evil inclination was actually transformed to good which means now he has a double godly power okay so that's the difference between the complete tzaddik and the incomplete tzaddik is that our is that our goal are we trying to become a tzaddik no okay that's not a goal. The reason why we are even discussing what a tzadik is is so it gives us bookends, right? Tells us, look, what are the what is the the range of people there are in this world, and the other reason why we focused on this is because we can have tzaddik moments. And the Tanya wants us to understand and know what it is like to have a tzaddik moment. What's a tzaddik moment like? It's a completely selfless moment, a moment that you have devoted completely to God with with no ulterior motives, completely altruistic. That's a tzaddik moment. We can have that. And it's important for us to know and appreciate when that happens to us. Okay, Chapter 11, we talked about the two types of Russia. What did we say is Russia? an evil person or a bad person? Not necessarily. What is the definition of a Russia? Someone who doesn't have complete control. Someone who doesn't have complete control. Now, what's the difference between a complete Russia and an incomplete Russia? A complete Russia means someone who's really, really, really like has no vestiges of good left in him. The real difference is that he doesn't have remorse. He doesn't have regret. So he's kind of like, there's no, there's not really any hope because he doesn't care that he's acting this way. A com- an incomplete Russia um, tends to be in this cycle of sin, repent, repeat, right? Sin, repent, repeat. Now who falls into this, ru- this incomplete Russia category? Basically like 99% of the humans right? Because it doesn't matter whether you're sitting once a year or once every minute. If you don't have complete control over your behaviors, you are in that category, right? So we said very, very, very few people end up being tzaddikim, right? They're usually born to be that. Very, very, very few people almost doesn't exist a complete Russia, right? Someone who has zero remorse or regret. And most of us land in this category of, Incomplete Russia and our goal and the reason why you guys are all here is because we want to be better, right? We want to be on this journey of being more godly and and understanding how we can connect to Hashem and we're on this journey. So we are learning the Tanya and this journey is we are incomplete or an in incomplete Russia who's on the path to learn more about how to be a Bainani. Okay. So um, this is where we're at in Chapter 12, Okay. Now, I'm actually going to address a question that maybe some of you are thinking. Um, Definitely, I have thought about it many times while learning the Tanya. And remember, I forgot to announce, always feel free to ask, put questions in the chat box whenever you have them. I will answer them as soon as I can. So. If we're saying, it's funny that I'm, I'm like asking you a question to challenge myself. Well, it's not myself, it's the Tanya, but like I'm making it harder for myself, but I think it's very important. If we're saying that a Russia, an incomplete Russia sins, right? And it doesn't matter how often he sins. If you have sinned once in your life, you are an incomplete Russia because an incomplete Russia has, doesn't have perfect control over their actions. Here we are. Trying to become a Bainani, right? And a Bainani has complete control over his actions, but we're not a Bainani yet, right? We're not born a Bainani. So, how does that work? How does that work if we can never sin because then we're in the complete Russia category? How do we become a Bainani? How is it like, what, how does this work? What's the point? You would think that once you sin, you're a lost cause. There's no point in even trying. Does anyone have that question? Like, how are we reconciling this idea that you can sin only once or, and then that's it. You, you're out, you're out of the running to be a bainani, Okay. So I don't know. I struggled with that. And, um, what I learned is that the bainani. let's, let's understand a little bit about, um, what is the Bainani's state of mind, okay? What is the Bainani, okay? The Bainani is somebody who has committed to this journey of perfect behaviors, of completely controlling his actions. Now, once a Bainani has committed, once a person has committed to this behavior, to this way of life, it is unfeasible, that he'll ever transgress, and it's unfeasible that he has ever transgressed. So what we're saying is that when a baenani is in this state of mind of being a banani it it that's the that's the existence that he is in right now, and that's what we're talking about. It's almost like you're you know when you commit to being a baenani, it's almost like you're being reborn and. It's a totally different existence than what you've had previously. And, it's, and when you're committed to this bainani existence, it doesn't matter what happens. It is impossible for you to sin. Now, um, it's not like the bainese not sinning because the temptation wasn't great enough right? It's like, oh, I didn't sin because I didn't really want to do that, right? It's, it's not about how great the temptation is because the temptation can be really great. But if, if this person is committed to this bainany path, it, he won't sin. He won't sin. And we're going to understand and learn why because there's this one specific tool that this Benini is using that we are going to talk about in this chapter, okay? And the other thing that is important to understand about a Benini is that you can fail and recommit. Okay. It's almost like you, this is a, there's two ways to look at a Banny. You can look at him in a way that it's not super sophisticated, right? He has impulse control. He has behavioral control and he's employing that control minute by minute. Okay. So every minute or every hour, he's constantly recommitting and, and having this, control over his behavior minute by minute. I mean, we've all done it, right? Has anyone ever asked you like, how are you doing? And you say like, okay, like taking one one minute at a time, right? Like we you, I mean, I use that example like all the time. I don't even say I'm taking one day at a time. That's too big, right? I literally take one minute at a time at certain points in my life because that's all I can do, right? Um, so that's kind of like one, one, Example of a baby is somebody who takes his godly journey a minute at a time, and it's almost more doable that way because it's bite size, right? In this minute, I'm committing to have perfect behavioral control and perfect actions, right? So it's a minute by minute process now. Another way to look at a Bainini, which they're actually not mutually exclusive, they work together, um, which is more of what the Tanya is going to talk about because he, the Tanya and the authority wants us to be this to be an ongoing journey, is that the work that it takes for the bany to commit to this lifestyle is immense. Right? So if a banyany is gonna take this lifestyle and say, I'm committing to this lifestyle of perfect outward behavior that is a huge commitment. And that also takes emotional devotion. It takes a lot of devotion and like staying power to take on this way of life. Okay. So one way we're looking at it is is a minute by minute commitment. Like we're not really able to commit ourselves completely and say, I'm doing this forever, right? That feels too overwhelming. And one way to look at it is somebody who does say, I am committing to this way of life. I'm committing to this behavior indefinitely. And it takes a huge amount of emotional and um, t- stamina. It takes a ton of stamina, right? To, to, to commit to something like that outright. So I've been saying a lot about committing to outward behavior, emotional, you know, actions. How, how does one do that? How does one get to the place where he is committing to um, behavioral control, right? Like, what's the tool? Like, how do we get there? I mean, it's easy to say I'm going to have perfect behavioral control, and we know that we can, right? We know that we can control our thoughts, speech, and action, but how, okay? And this is what we're going to focus on on this chapter. It's the first tool that the altar was giving us on this Bainani journey. Because remember we said in the beginning, we were really not learning tools yet. We were just learning the lingo. We were getting the ingredients for the recipe, right? That's what we were doing. And now we are finally getting to the place where we're getting tools. The altar is confident enough in us that we understand enough about how our soul works and we have two souls and how the world works and that we have we have a small city inside of us that's vying for complete control like we have enough knowledge now to be able to actually get started on our journey so what's the first tool that we have um, you might have heard of it it is a very 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 fundamental hasidic concept and we're going to learn it in a way that is extremely practical And to me, while I prepare and review, and every time I review this chapter, I get like re um, almost like this is a like, there is no, like the ultimate does not sugarcoat this, right? Like we get some reality checks big time in this chapter. Okay? And we're gonna work through it together. If you have pushback, okay? Like if there's a reality check that you're just like, whoa, 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 wait a second. It's OK, we'll, we'll work it through together because this is something that could be uncomfortable and might take a little time to process. And I, I know it did for me. OK, so what is this tool that I keep on like giving big introductions for and I haven't even told you what it is? We've talked about it. I Just we haven't given it an official name and we haven't used it as an official tool. The official tool is Moach Shalit Al Halev, OK? In English. Our brain rules the heart. Okay, this is not really a new concept for us because we spoke about in chapter four when we said, oh, even chapter three, when we talked about the um, constitution of a soul, right? And we talked about the 10 soul powers. What did we learn? That all our emotions come from intellect, right? Like, so we were introduced to this concept in a more, um, abstract way. Like, okay, our emotions come from it. So now the altar is saying, guys, this is the tool that you're going to use to actually get onto your knee path and to actually just live your life. Our brain rules our heart. And the Altrev goes on to say that not only does your brain rule your heart, this is something that's natural to us. We are born with this ability. So this tool that the Altarab is giving us is not something that we have to acquire, we have to like adapt, we have to like learn from scratch. This is an inborn innate quality that we are hardwired with that we have to tap into. Okay, any questions so far? Okay, so I wanna give an example that I heard from Chase Taub, who's like the Tanya guru, okay? And he used this example, and I really, really, really related to it, especially as a mom, okay? And he actually, I think he even, like, witnessed this firsthand. He's, like, telling the story that he experienced, and I'm going to use it. And it's not my experience, it's Chase Taub's experience. Um, But it's very, very valuable. He was sitting in a parking lot in a car. His wife was into the store shopping and he was sitting in a car and he, um, was learning and out of the corner of the car, right next to him, he's witnessing this interaction. A mom is coming out of the store with her kid. She's walking very briskly and you can see she's not happy. Right. And she gets to the car and she starts to kind of lay it in on this kid. I can't believe your behavior. You embarrass me. You cannot behave like that. This is not okay. And she's, whatever, doing what we've all done. You know, like you're overwhelmed. Their kid misbehaved, and obviously, you held it together in the store because we have social norms that doesn't allow us to let loose on our kids in public. And so she thinks she's in private. She's in the. She's like reprimanding her child. And then she notices that Rabbi Taub is, sees her. And what happens in that instant? Shuts it down. She stops, right? She stops with her reprimand. She gets into the car and she drives away. Now, let me ask you a question. When do you think this mom started feeling angry and frustrated and upset? In the store, right? It's very clear that she was not happy, right? She had already started these feelings in the store. What allowed her to not lose her cool on her child in the store? The fact that she lives by social norms and she's like, I cannot, I'm embarrassed or I would feel guilty doing this in front of people. So she controlled her behavior, OK? As soon as she was, felt safe and she was in private, this is not a discussion whether it's OK to reprimand your kids. Like That's a whole different thing. We're not, we're not doing that. We're just taking the story for this example. Um, as soon as she felt like she was safe and no one was watching her, she let it loose. Then as soon as she realized that somebody was watching her, she was able to shut it down instantaneously, OK? Why am I telling you this story? Because what does this show? This shows that we are born with the ability to control ourselves, okay? We're born with the ability to control ourselves. She was using the innate tool that she had for impulse control. Her impulse in the store was, I am angry. I want to yell at my child, but I'm going to control myself because it doesn't feel safe to do so in this environment. And then as soon as she felt safe to do so, she was able to let it go. As soon as she felt unsafe again, and she saw that someone was watching with her, she shut it down instantaneously. How do we have the ability to do that? It's like having a car going from going 80 miles an hour and hitting the brakes and stopping instantaneously. That's an incredible feat. But the only reason why we're able to do that is because God gave us this innate hardwired hardwired quality to have impulse control. Now, nowadays in this generation, we see a lot less impulse control, right? People are just want to be free. They want to say what they think. They want to act how they feel and everything has to just be organic, right? It's not that our hardwiring is different. We're, hard, we're hardwired the same way. It's just our priorities are different, okay? Our generation has a priority of just being authentic, right? Being who you are and just letting it all hang out, okay? That is a choice, okay? We are, in this generation, we make a choice to just be freer, have less inhibitions, right? Um, So we don't have um, the ability to have less inhibitions, we just exercise less inhibition, We choose to exercise less inhibition. And what I want to tell you that becomes a little tricky in our day and age is because we are taught that a falsehood, that we can lose control and we don't have control over our behaviors. That is something that we tell ourselves and is told to us. So we let ourselves off the hook, okay? What I'm saying is that we have the ability to control ourselves it's just whether we choose to or not so another cute like these little these word like play on words is denial is don't even know i'm i am lying right what's a that's denial we don't even realize we're lying to ourselves right um so If you would actually if you want to say that you're losing control over your behaviors, it has to work across the board, right? It's like someone saying, like, I'm sitting here, no one provoked me, and I just felt the urge to throw something at you, and I couldn't control it. Right? You if you if someone would tell you that, you would tell them, like, maybe you have a neurological issue, like you have to go, like that could happen you can have a neurological issue where your brain and your body is not working in sync, but that is not normal. Normal to be able to say like, I have the impulse to want to do something, but I don't do it. Um, The same thing is like, I'm so mad I can kill, right? I can, I can, I'm so angry. That's a normal thought. It's not a normal behavior. Correct? So what I am saying is that barring a mental health issue, which does exist, barring that there's not a neurological piece playing here, we have the ability to control ourselves at all times. If you choose not to control, if you lose control, it's because you chose to, why did we choose to lose control? Why would someone choose to lose control? And this to me is extremely powerful. We choose to lose control because it's emotionally uncomfortable to deny myself the behavioral outlet that I need. Right. And I choose to express myself. It's too hard for me to feel something inside and not express it outside. Okay. It's uncomfortable for me to have that those feelings and not express them. So I choose to let it go and act on how I feel, okay? Now we are all born with the ability for inhibition. We all follow certain social norms, right? We all understand that when we sneeze, we cover our mouth, right? That is something that we do because that's accepted and normal. What the Tanya is saying is take those social norms, those natural inhibitions you have, the natural impulse control you have for certain situations and apply it to your godly life. We like to let ourselves off the hook in our godly life and say it's too uncomfortable, it's too hard for me. I can't do it. I don't feel authentic. I don't feel authentic if I think one thing and I act another thing. The Tanya is saying we are born not to always be authentic. We filter. Guys, we are not always authentic to the outside world that is natural, that is healthy, actually, right? And if you want to apply it to social media, right? Everyone's like, there's this social media-like craze of like authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. Guess what? The authenticity that you see on social media is curated authenticity. People are only showing you what they want you to see, whether it's authentic or not. Whether it's vulnerable or not, someone is going to be vulnerable with you if they want to, if they feel comfortable to, right? Like you get to decide how you're vulnerable or not. We are not completely transparent, authentic human beings that would be inappropriate, right? So what am I saying? This is kind of like, I don't know. It takes a lot of time to process and it puts us in a responsible position. And it's uncomfortable because we, Don't necessarily want to be there. But what I'm saying is that we can be, um, we can be, we don't always have to think how we feel. We can have struggles in our relationship with God, and we don't have to always feel like this is a, a piece of cake and this is real, I feel spiritual and I feel good doing this. And that shouldn't stop us from doing it. We can feel one thing inside, but we can have behavioral control and do something that we know is correct and we know is right on the outside. Our feelings and our actions don't always have to match. Now, the Tanya is going to tell us in later chapters, in like chapters 16 and 17, we're going to learn that, okay, to live a whole life where your insides don't match your outsides and you feel like, your constant struggle, that's not sustainable to do forever, right? But we're saying, if you have a moment that you are in a situation where really you don't really feel like doing this thing, right? Or you don't really feel like controlling yourself. Or you don't, you really want that Cinnabon in the airport, right? Because God, come on, those smell delicious. Who doesn't want one? And it's uncomfortable not to have one. Just because we want it doesn't mean we have to buy it and get it and eat it. Right, like we can have different feelings from our actions. Okay, question, isn't there an issue always brushing things under the rug Seems synonymous with always being in control? Okay, I'm not sure I understand the question completely. Isn't there, is not there an issue of brushing things under the rug? Yes. Why is there an issue of brushing things under the rug? Because that means you're not facing your uncomfortability. You wanna push it away. What I'm saying is with behavioral control is not to pretend that you feel in control and you want to do what you want to do. And it it feels good. Be present with the uncomfortableness. The Tanya is saying, serving God is not always comfortable. I think we think that being godly and serving God has to feel good all the time. It should feel good sometimes. We want it to feel good sometimes. But it doesn't mean it's always going to feel good. And just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean you're not being authentic. It doesn't mean you can't actually do it anyway. Did that answer the question? Okay. So we we want to. We're not going to have emotional control. That's a tzaddik. A tzaddik is the only one that gets to have complete emotional control. We can have emotional control sometimes. We're going to learn how we can get our feelings to match our actions sometimes but it's not something that we're going to be able to sustain all the time. That's a tzaddik. A tzaddik gets emotional control. We don't get emotional control. So we're not always going to be in control of our emotions, but we absolutely can be always in control with our actions. That is something that we absolutely have the ability to do. And when we don't, it's because we choose not to because it's uncomfortable and we just don't want to, which is like the majority of my life. I mean, We always make choices like that, it's too hard, right? And that's okay because we're not being yet, we're on the journey, right? So we're not always mastering this complete control, but what the Tani is telling you is that you actually do have the ability, okay? We are born with this concept of impulse control. It is hardwired into us. Now we get to choose how we use it. So we use it in our regular life all the time. We use it all the time. The Tanya is saying, okay, now use it in your moral life, in your Jewish life, in your spiritual life. Why do we think that impulse control goes out the window when it comes to something that's spiritual, where we have to do something in our, in our Jewish life to, that doesn't feel exactly right. Or doesn't feel like we want to. Okay. Another question. Isn't it healthy to let out your feelings? Sometimes you can let out your feelings all the time, as long as it doesn't lead to a negative action, right? We're not saying don't feel your feelings, right? We're saying if your feelings, if you have the feeling to, um, I'm just going to use an extreme example because no one falls into this category, right? And it's better to use extreme examples so no one feels like I'm talking to them because I, even though I don't know you personally, if you have the feeling, I have the feeling I want to kill somebody because I'm so they made me so I can't I, they made me so mad and I can't forgive them. I want to kill them. Expressing your feelings doesn't mean you go kill them, right? Like expressing your feelings and feeling your feelings doesn't always mean lead, doesn't mean it has to lead to action. It means that you're feeling your feelings and you're not acting on them because you have control over what you do and what you say and what you think. Remember, we did this whole thought thing. We know that we can control what we think, right? The knock on the door, right? We can't control what we think about. We can't control what we think of, but we can control what we think about. falls into the same category. So... Now, I, I want to say that if you have the emotional Im- impulse and really, really, really intense desire to hurt somebody, feel that feeling, but then like go deeper, right? Like there's some rage going on inside of you that needs to be addressed on a deeper level, right? And what we say is that, the Tanya says this all the time, we got to be emotionally healthy, to be able to employ these tools. Now, I don't mean emotionally like healthy, like we all got it figured out because we all struggle every single day. It just means that you will have the capacity and you don't have these major obstacles and for you to act in a healthy manner. Okay, giving, okay, we have great wisdom from Jenna. Let me read it. Giving your heart space to breathe and be heard is so important. If we drop awareness down into the heart and actually feel what is arising, then oftentimes that is enough to let the energy move without acting on a negative action. Of course, it takes practice. Yes, absolutely, right? We need to, de- we need to feel our feelings, right? We need, we need to give them space to be there. What the Tanya is saying is not that we can't feel our feelings, it's just that we need to feel them in a way that doesn't lead us to acting a certain way. And remember, we're, we are talking about our spiritual journey and our journey with our connection to Hashem. And so we want to apply all these things to our spiritual journey and our spiritual. And what the Tanya is saying is like, we're not expecting you to be a Tzaddik. We're not expecting you to want and feel godly every moment of the day. That is not something that is attainable to us at this moment. What we're expecting is for you to act in a way that's godly and that we have control over. Okay, so um, what I think is actually if now if you take um, if you take this concept and really think about it, it is mind blowing. It's it's cool. It's cool. Why is this cool? Because what it what we're saying is that Hashem doesn't judge us on all our feelings, right? He is, it's okay. Like he doesn't, he's not judging our insides necessarily. Our insides get us closer to God, but that's not where God judges us. He really is just judging us on our actions. He's looking at our actions. And on the one hand, that is intense and a huge responsibility. And it takes It's uncomfortable and it takes a lot to reconcile with that. But on the other hand, if we think about it, God is saying like, I know that this is going to be a struggle. I know you're going to have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. I know that your feelings aren't going to be godly. That's okay. Because I really am just paying attention to your actions. So he almost gives us a little bit of like a free pass on our insides, right? He's letting us work through our insides without like totally being a taskmaster on that. Right. And he's just saying, I, I'm just paying attention to what you actually do and what you actually say. So on the one hand, it's kind of like like a relief and a little bit of a free pass on our insides. Right. Like obviously, the more our emotions can be godly, and the more we can think godly, and the more we think about, you know, we go in that direction, the easier it is to act godly, right? It's much easier where we spoke about, right? It's like what you think and what you, f- you think about is how you're going to feel and how you feel is going to, is going to be how you act, right? It does affect our behavior. So obviously working on our emotional journey is going to be important and we're going to get there. But right now, as the Tanya, the altar was saying like, right now, don't worry about how you feel. Don't worry if how you're feeling doesn't match what you're doing and what you're acting because it doesn't matter at this moment. And I think a lot of us um, struggle with this because we live in an age where we have like, again, with the authenticity or we have to act on every feeling that we have. And I think there's merit. Like you sit. obviously we have to be in touch with our feelings and not sweep things under the rug. But just because we feel a certain way, doesn't mean we have to act a certain way. We apl- everybody applies it. Nobody is acting on every single impulse they have. Okay. That's just not how we live. So why is it that people don't apply that to their spiritual journey? Why is it that people feel like if I don't, bu- if I don't, connect if I'm not connecting to God on this level if I don't understand why I have to keep kosher then why should I do it right and what I'm saying is that yeah it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable sometimes we don't want to keep kosher sometimes like it's a pain in the neck and there's no food and you're in the airport or you're traveling or you live in a place where it's really hard to get kosher food and we don't want to I don't want to it doesn't mean that we just do it, right? I'm saying we have the power to act a certain way, even though we don't necessarily feel it. And it's not that you're being inauthentic. It's not that you're betraying yourself when you keep kosher and you don't want to. I'm just using that as an example. There's like a thousand examples. You can, you can, you can, you you can make your example that applies to your own life. But um, and we all have them, right? And I think part of the generation that we live in gives us the permission to not do things because it's uncomfortable and i think if we dig deeper and we really learn about ourselves the uncomfortable moments if you like go even deeper even in 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 um, like mainstream psychology uncomfortable is where you grow right when you put yourself in, in uncomfortable situations or when you master an uncomfortable situation that's where the growth is at. It's where it's at. So Latanya is saying like, of course it's gonna be uncomfortable for you. Of course, if you're not used to lighting Shabbos candles at a certain time and you have to stop your, especially in the winter and you have to stop your work early and it messes with your whole day, it's not gonna be comfortable. You're not necessarily gonna wanna do it. Could you do it anyway? Yes. Does it mean you're, you're, you're betraying yourself because you're not acting on every feeling you have? no it just means that you are strong enough to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and not just act on impulse not act only on how we feel but act because we happen to know something we happen to know that this is what god wants we happen to know that this is a godly connection we don't always have to understand how it works right okay so um how are you feeling about this so far? Okay? Is it stressing you out? Like is it are you like are you rejecting this thought or are you like yeah okay this makes sense? All right. Well, tell me if you want to. <laughs> okay. So, basically, the Tanya um does not sugarcoat things. This is not like a feel-good book. This is not a book that's going to be like, every time you assimilate this information, it's going to feel good. Okay? Um, what Tanya is telling us is that we are responsible. We are responsible to make our behavioral choices. And when we feel or when we want to tell ourselves that I just lost control, it's because you allowed yourself to lose control. You made the choice to lose control. Why? Because it was uncomfortable for you to feel one thing and act another way. It was uncomfortable for you to like hold in your rage. Like for example, like if you're, if someone's in a bar, right? And they start and they're in a bar fight, right? And a, the hugest, most strongest, burliest guy comes in your face. Are you gonna punch him? Even if you're really angry? Probably not, unless you have a death wish. Probably not, because that's a dumb move. Even though you feel really, really, really angry and you want to punch the guy, you know if you punch the guy, he's going to flatten you. In that moment, you can control your impulses, right? You can control your anger. Why? It doesn't serve you, right? And you're making smart choices. So Tanya's saying, like, we we are born with this idea to be able to control ourselves and have impulse control and have inhibitions, like we're born with that. For some reason, we didn't think, a lot of us don't think it carries on to our spiritual godly life. It, it doesn't work, it doesn't apply. And the time saying, say, no though, guys, the first tool that I'm giving you is something that you know how to do and you do when you want to, right? You do it when you want to. So when, what I'm saying is that you can do this if you want to. If you choose to, you can have impulse control and you can have perfect behaviors that are godly at any moment, at any given time. We're not saying it's gonna, your emotions are there. We're not saying like it it works, like we feel that way all the time. Okay? So the capacity we have to be uncomfortable, just push it over to your Torah life right like use that tool and apply it to the to your godly spiritual Torah life okay now um, I don't know if I, if you remember in the beginning of our journey on Tanya we spoke about how this is like almost like a personal conversation between the altarba and his students because basically what the altar Alter realized was that, he keeps people come to private audiences with him and they are either at everyone has the same questions, right? And, or the same person is coming with the same questions over and over again. And the rabbi was like, let me put this in a book. So when we're all struggling with the same thing, this is almost like having each chapter of Tanya is almost like having a personal audience with the altar Rebbe, And it goes in order. It goes in order of our development, our spiritual development. So here we are on chapter 12. And let's say we're, you know, a chassid comes to the altar and says, oh my gosh, I am struggling. Right? Like, I want to be godly. Like, but then I have my other soul that doesn't want me to be godly. And then how, how am I supposed to behave? Like, what am I supposed to do? So, we already know from the beginning that we have two souls, and this conflicting behavior inside of us is normal. That's already a relief, right? That already gave us some relief to know that this feeling inside of us is normal. That's how God created us, and that's why we're here in this world because of the conflict, right? So, that already gave us some relief that this is normal. But now we want tools, right? We want tools. And the chassid goes to the altar where he says, Okay, I get that I have two souls, but how do I act? godly, when these two souls are fighting between me, inside of me, and I'm one way is pulling me one way, and the other way is pulling me the other way, how do I do it? And what does the altar ever say? You do it with a tool that God gave you that's inborn to you, and it's yours. You just have to employ it, and that is impulse control. So when you have the evil inclination badgering you, and you have the godly soul kind of like trying to have its voice and say, no, no, no. You can control your evil inclination by having impulse control and saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Yitzhahara, this sounds really, really fun. This sounds something that I really would like to do. This sounds enjoyable, but I'm going to have impulse control because I know it's not a godly behavior and I want to be a godly person and I want to get closer to God. So you say, okay, that's it. That's what you're telling me. The key to being on the vanity path is impulse control. Like that's your whole advice, your whole tool. And guess what the Rebbe says? Yup. For now. Right? That's it for now. Because as we develop and conquer each step, more more tools are going to be needed and more questions are going to arise. So right now, the author says the first thing you have to master is impulse control. Once you master impulse control, you're going to have a ton more questions and we're going to need a ton more tools. But they're not relevant right now because we haven't mastered impulse control. So the the next chapter is the Tanya's is going to just automatically assume that you've mastered impulse control, okay? Because the next questions that are going to arise are going to be, okay, if you've conquered impulse control, this is what's going to happen next, and I'm going to help you with that, okay? So if you want to summarize this chapter, what would be the one, like in one sentence, what would you say? You can unmute, by the way. Okay. Um, I would say, if I wanted to like totally summarize the chapter, I would say, your mind rules your heart. Okay, your mind rules your heart, full stop. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's the difference between the Tanya and like regular life. We can kind of always excuse ourselves. Tanya says, full stop, if, ands, or buts. Unless, unless someone is struggling with a neurological issue, a mental health issue, your mind, Tro- controls your heart, full stop, the end. Okay, any questions before we go to our meditation? Okay, you guys are awesome. I thought you would give me a much harder time on this. Um, I gave myself a harder time on this. I'm like every step of the way, I'm like, no, this can't be right, this can't be true. Uh, Cause we wanna like let ourselves off the hook sometimes, you know? Um, Tanya is not where you're gonna be let off the hook. Just info to have, like you're never gonna be let off the hook in Tanya. Um, okay, good. You already have the power to control your actions and choose godly. Yes, perfect summary. Okay, so I wanna make sure that I didn't miss anything on my, basically I felt like I give, gave one big rant. So making sure that I didn't miss any actual important information. Um, I think I really did cover what I wanted to say. Oh, the one thing I wanted to, I did miss, I missed one thing is that chapter 12 is almost like a newsflash. Um, it doesn't feel like a newsflash because the world has conditioned itself so much in these concepts that it doesn't feel so revolutionary but really without Tanya, like it's revolutionary. And the revolutionary concept is, is that previously before Tanya, we thought that either you were a Sadiq or you were a Russia. You can either, either were good or you weren't good, right? And what the Tanya comes to tell us is that we have insides, we have outsides. Our insides are our emotions. Our outsides are behaviors. And we can have perfect behaviors without having with, and not have perfect emotions. And that is where it's at, OK? So that is a revolutionary concept. This did not exist before the Alta Rebbe spoke about this in Tanya. It wasn't like you could do that, right? And obviously it existed, we just, we weren't aware of it. And the alternative brought this concept to the forefront where our insides and our outsides are two different things. And we could have perfect outsides and not have perfect insides. It means we can be really rotten inside, right? We can, have, we can be rotten, but still have godly behavior and still be this really wonderful, godly human. Okay, because right now, action is where it's at. We are going to, I want to reiterate this, because we're going to really, at one point, we're going to focus on how to get our emotions more congruent with our actions, because it's just easier to live that way. It's easier to live when you can act on how you feel, right? That's an easier existence. Um, But right now, we are not ready for that yet. Right now, we just have to learn how to have impulse control Because we already know how, we just have to learn to apply it to our godly behavior. Okay, so take a deep breath. Find a comfortable position. Close your eyes. And breathe deeply in through your nose. And out through your mouth. Don't try to control your breath, just go with it. You can observe, is your breath like shallow and fast or long and deep? I want you to sit with your breath for a couple seconds. I want you to also visualize, we've done this before, um, any tension that you might have just like melting out of your body, where observe that, like, where do you feel your tension and where can you release it? Are you releasing it through your extremities, through your head, through your gut, through your feet? Where does your tension sit? And where, if you would visualize letting all your attention go, just observe where it's coming out of. Okay. Bring your focus to a couple of these points to ponder that you can take with you during the week. We don't have less inhibitions. We just exercise less inhibitions. We have the capacity to be uncomfortable. Apply that to your Torah life. Your external behavior is in your complete control. Even your negative thoughts can be replaced with good ones. But your deep emotional core is resistant to change. So don't worry about, basically what I'm saying is don't worry about your deep emotional core right now. Right now, just worry about your behaviors because that's in our control. Your brain, i.e. willpower, naturally rules your heart, i.e. emotions. Your brain rules your heart. Your willpower rules your emotions. Okay? Sit with those thoughts for a minute. Which one speaks the most to you? How does it make you feel? What does it mean? in your life, apply it practically to your life. What do these thoughts mean to you? Cause that's, what's important, right? We are, this is practical. We're applying it to our lives. Slowly start to become more aware of your surroundings like smells sounds, sensations. Bring your attention back to your breath, in through your nose, out through your mouth. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Okay, my beautiful people, how are you feeling? Any comments, thoughts, feelings, right? We still care about feelings, don't worry. (laughs) You can still tell me how you feel. Um, Anything you want to contribute to this class, we have a couple seconds and minutes, please put that in the chat box or unmute yourself if you have something you wanna say. It's always um, welcome. If not, Have an awesome week. I will see you next week. And um, remember where you can go to um, either listen again or, or listen to a missed class. Schmoozy is the audio version. And it also has the points to ponder that I tell you in our meditation. Those are on the Schmoozy forum. So you can check those out and remind yourself. And YouTube if you want to watch the actual video. So thank you so much. See you guys soon. See you next week. And um, yeah, I will stop the recording.